Well, hey, that was fantastic. Um, so I, don't, I know you guys are running out of the room, but thank you, Sandy and team. Donna Bowles was down here directing. I, I saw it. Laura Beth and Claire this morning and all their team. Hey, you guys just did a fantastic job. And I defy you to tell me one thing that a violin doesn't make better. <laughs> right? Weddings, church services, Dave Matthews Band. <laughs> I mean, anything. Um, so before we, uh, we've been looking at the children, let me t- I want to make you aware this morning before we get into the message about something we're doing for parents. Uh, coming up uh, the beginning of uh, February, uh, next year we're having our parenting conference uh, here at Double Oak, and uh, uh, it's going to be called uh, Parenting the Angles, and it's the idea of uh, parenting the place where, uh, if, you, if you're thinking about a triangle, parenting the place where relationship intersects with principle, and how do we stand in those places? So we're raising kids that, that um, are honoring to biblical principle, but also that we have rich relationships that we can naturally have those spiritual formative spiritually formative conversations with. That's going to be our parenting conference in February. That's going to be up on the website today. You can go ahead and start signing up today. Uh, our, our key speaker is going to be Dr. Randy Hemphill, who's a longtime friend of Double Oak, a longtime friend of mine as well. Uh, we have fantastic people coming to do breakout sessions. It's uh, Sunday afternoon. We're just going to load you up with really rich stuff. We're not taking a whole weekend. We're not taking a ton of time out of your schedule, but you will be blessed by the people that you hear from in this, in this conference. So, um, Encourage you to sign up for that as, uh, as soon as you can. If you're interested in that, uh, that'll be February 5th from 3 to 6 in the afternoon uh, here uh, at Double Oak. Um, so, I've got this tradition. I'm not a, I'm not a super traditional kind of person, but I've got this tradition. Uh, after Thanksgiving, uh, I, I am a... I am a uh, Christmas doesn't start until Thanksgiving is over, person. Thank you. Um, but after Thanksgiving is over, um, when uh, my wife and I go to sleep uh, at night, we because uh, sometimes you know it's on the it's on the couch watching the game. But you know, it, you know when we're like like going to sleep, like it, you know, we go to sleep listening to um, um, Nat King Cole's. Christmas album. You guys ever heard this? You, ever, you know, anybody not know who Nat King Cole is? All right. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's just this, this, this really smooth crooning of Christmas carols. And, um, and it, it, it's funny to me because like, you know, like Silent Night isn't to like almost the end of the album. And it's like, you know, and so by the time, you know, by the time he gets to Sleep in heavenly peace. I'm gone. I mean, I, you know, my, my wife, bless her heart, she's never heard the second song. I mean, there's 20 songs on the album, and she has no idea what they are. You know, she's, she's out. You know, sometimes, you know, when we're going to bed, I'll, oh, I meant to ask you this. Hey, uh, no, you're out. You're gone. So, I mean, like halfway through the first song, she's out. Um, and uh, I love Silent Night, but there's something about the idea of sleeping in heavenly peace that I simultaneously find comforting and um, um, enticing. But at the, uh, on the other end of that, I'm also, uh, I also find myself thinking along those lines of, well, sleeping in heavenly peace is great, 
but I'm sleeping the whole time, so I kind of miss it. I would really kind of like to live in heavenly peace. You know, so, so, I'm, so I'm awake enough, so I'm conscious enough to actually, you know, n- know what, I'm, what I'm walking around in, know what I'm, what I'm experiencing, and um, that's what I want to talk to you about today. How do, we, how do we live in heavenly peace? And before we jump into that, I think it's helpful for us to talk about what we mean when we use the word peace. Um, uh, see, uh, there's no way I'm not tripping over this at some point this morning. So let, let's just agree to all be adults. And when that happens, we're just going to be cool with it. All right. Um, Stephen mentioned when he was uh, uh, speaking about the Advent candle, uh, this, this idea of shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace. The Greek word is irene. And both of those words kind of carry this idea of um, a peace that is not normally what we think about when we use the word peace. So let me tell you uh, what peace is not. Okay? Peace is not, first and foremost, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is not the absence of conflict. You know, in, in the Beatitudes, Jesus uh, tells us that um, uh, blessed, are the, uh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Um, I, think, I think it's important for us to recognize that peacemakers and peacekeepers aren't the same thing, right? Making peace means that sometimes you have to have d- very difficult, very direct conversations. Um, and so peace isn't the absence of conflict. Sometimes it's using conflict to, pa- to plow through some really rocky terrain to get to a place of hell. So uh, peace is not the absence of conflict. I mean, if you're looking for a place in your life or if I'm looking for a place in my life where we don't have conflict anymore, I mean, that, that's, that's going to be a long time, like eternity. So peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is also uh, not about a position of control or power, right? Peace is not about you or I being in a place where we have enough control, or where we have enough power that we can, uh, we can set the circumstances that we do life in, right? That we can insulate ourselves from things uh, that, cause us, uh, that cause us trouble, that cause us angst. Uh, that cause us any sort of issue that, uh, that is um, unpeaceful to us. It isn't about controlling our situation so that nothing opposes us or no- nothing infringes on our environment, right? Um, and finally, it's, it's also not the ability to, to step out of that stuff. It's not escapism. Peace is not getting away from things um, that are difficult, um, it's, not, it's not about running away. It's not about finding a way to be removed from those things. Let me tell you what peace is. Peace is, um, I'm, I'm borrowing this definition just so you don't think I'm all like smarty smart. I've, I've got this from somebody. Peace is the harmonized relationships between God and man accomplished through the gospel and the sense of rest and contentment that results. The harmonized relationships between God and man accomplished through the gospel and the sense of rest and contentment that results. And that's the heart of what produces in us the ability to live in heavenly peace. So this morning we're going to be talking about what that looks like and how you and I can get to a place where we can enjoy that as followers of Christ. 
So number one, why does our relationship need to be harmonized? You know, if, if uh, peace is the harmonized relationships between God and man, why, does our, uh, why do our relationships uh, need to be harmonized? Uh, the Bible tells us very clearly in uh, Genesis chapter 1 that we were created in God's image, that we were meant for fellowship with him. We were designed to, uh, uh, to be in relationship with him, or if, if you have been catechetically uh, educated, to know him and enjoy him forever. That's our purpose. So we were created for harmony with God. We were created to be in relationship with him. And we see that really, really, it's one of my favorite little, uh, you know, sometimes there, are, there are verses in the Bible that give you like word pictures in your head. You know, you have some of those. This is one of mine that just gives me a word picture in my head. Genesis 3, verse 8, just the first part. Um, and they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. All right, so there are several things that stick out to me about this verse. They heard the sound of the Lord God. I mean, just what would that sound even be like? I mean, how, uh, I mean, is, is, it, is, it, is it a massive and deep sort of thundering echo kind of a sound? Or is it, is it, is it a... Um, is it a, uh, a soft but, a, uh, but a, uh, accurately treaded footprint through the grass? I don't know. I can't, I, like, I can't, like, I'll just sit there and wonder that. But, so they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Okay, so I heard God walking. I mean, I don't, I can't even, I don't know what that, uh, in the garden, in the cool of the day. But what this verse doesn't say is when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, they were surprised, right? Like God wasn't sneaking up on them. Like they didn't hear the sound and go, hey, what's that? You know, sometimes like, you know, if you're, you know, you know, houses make noise at night, right? You know, so like, you know, you hear pipes creaking or something like that, or wood settling, whatever in your house at night and you wake up, hey, what's that? They didn't do that. Like they heard the sound of the Lord God walking and they were, so, uh, they were so close to him, their fellowship was so close to him that they recognized the sound of his footprint. That's what you and I were designed for. We were designed to be in, in close community, in close fellowship, in close relationship with the Lord that knows him that experiences him. And, you know, and I, think, I think we allow ourselves to be drawn into this idea that concepts like that are just something that preacher types like me say out loud because it sounds good. So let me just tell you, like straight out, no spin, no funky theological words. You and I were created to know God personally, to experience him deeply. And even in, in, in certain areas of our relationship with him, in certain corners of our spirits, to even experience him in ways that are difficult enough for us to explain as it is for me to explain what it must be like to hear God walking through a garden. And the only, the only way we can describe it is that I have experienced God. 
We were designed for that. We were meant for that. And, and, I, and, and I would encourage you, I would exhort you in your walk with Christ, don't settle for less than that. Don't settle for a list of rituals and routines. If I got up, I went to church, I read my Bible, I did the thing, and then went on about my day and lived my life. He means to be with you every moment of the day. He means to be that close with you if we will let him. So we, we, were, we were designed for and meant for relationship and peace with God. But in the second half of that verse, we find out why that's difficult. Because that relationship and peace with God was broken by sin. So the second half of 8 and going into 9, and the man and his wife, when they heard God, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? This is not a positional where are you. This is a spiritual where are you. Where have you departed from me? You know, I've uh, heard lots of people say on different occasions that uh, um, in in your seasons of your relationship with Christ and your walk with Christ, that if you're having a hard time finding God, he's not the one that's moved. Um, well, that's true enough. Uh, and this is a sermon for a different day, but there are different seasons that you and I will walk through in our spiritual walk with him that are different, and finding God seems different at, at, in certain seasons than it does in others. But again, sermon for a different day. But that's not what this is. This is a break in the relationship with God between Adam and Eve because of their sin. And you and I have the same issue. And the, problem, the, the conclusion that has to bring us to is that when our sin broke our relationship with God and broke our peace with him, when our peace with him was lost, the restoring of that peace or the finding of that peace is not within our capacity to accomplish. So when, when peace is broken, when, when, when we have broken our relationship with God because of sin, you and I don't have the ability to fix it. So if, if, if you and I were designed, if you and I were created for peace and communion with God, for relationship with God, for walking with God in the cool of the garden, as it were, if we were created for that, and because of our sin, that's not accessible to us anymore, we've got a problem. We can either live and settle for things that, uh, that are far beneath what we were created for, or someone else is going to have to fix it for us. And Advent, what we celebrate in Advent, is the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise to reconcile the broken peace for us. So Advent is the promise of peace restored through the work of Christ, which we typically refer to as the gospel. Gospel is kind of a buzzword today. It gets thrown around a lot. Um, uh, you know, you have 
gospel-centered, gospel-driven, gospel this, gospel that, and all that kind of stuff. Gospel gets thrown around a lot, but just like when you use any other word a whole bunch of times in a row, if you use it that much, if you're not careful, it begins to lose its meaning and you kind of forget what you're talking about. So the gospel is this, that you and I are in a position of enmity with God, Ephesians chapter 2, that we are a position of enmity with God. We are his enemies because of our sin. And we can't be reconciled to him on our own efforts. So, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God, not us, but God in his, rich, in his rich mercies, because he loved us, sent his son to absorb the wrath that we were owed because of our sin so that we could walk in the righteousness that he exchanged with us for our sin. And in the moment when we are found in Christ, in the moment when we stand under the provision of Christ on the cross, we are reconciled to God. So Advent is the story of the beginning of reconciliation. And peace is at the very heart of that. Uh, peace is, according to D.A. Carson, New Testament scholar, uh, peace is one of the fundamental characteristics of the story of the Old Testament prophets when they proclaimed and foretold the coming of the Christ. And there are lots of places we can see this. I can send you to several, um, but I, I want to look at one in particular. And that's Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, we're going we're gonna to focus on 6 and 7, but uh, I kind of like to get a running start, so I'm going to start in 2. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, in battle, in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire because they don't need it anymore. So here's the, here's the scene. Um, I, Isaiah is obviously, uh, you know, it's, okay, so Old Testament prophecy, uh, when you read Old Testament prophecy, Old Testament prophecy has, an, has a right now fulfillment and it has a not yet greater fulfillment, an already and a not yet, okay? So the already... Uh, Isaiah is talking to the people of Israel. But in the not yet, there is a greater scope, a greater truth, a greater fulfillment for what he's saying here that is to come. But in the immediate, in the immediate, Isaiah is, is saying there's going to be an end to the time that we walk in darkness, that we walk in oppression, that we walk in uh, captivity, that we walk in uh, exile, that we walk in all of these things. There's going to be an end to that. And when we get to, to the end of that, the trappings of that the, the warring garments and, 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 and all those things, when we get to the end of that, we're going to use those things as fuel for the fire because we won't need war anymore because we'll be at peace. But there is a greater fulfillment of that. There's an eschatological fulfillment of that, a covenantal fulfillment of that, and that is this, that not only is that true for Isaiah, but that's true for us too because for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, tripped, 
Prince of Peace. Now let me stop there just for a second. Obviously this is foretelling the coming of the Messiah. Obviously this is foretelling the coming of Christ. And those of us who walk in a great darkness that is not a geopolitical darkness, that is not a physical darkness, that is not an earthly darkness, but is a spiritual darkness that we have walked in since the garden, since, uh, since humanity embraced sin over the, over the will and wishes of God, since we embraced sin so that we could become our own gods, we have walked in darkness. And when Messiah comes, then we have seen a great light. You know, one of the things about the Christmas story, uh, and I love that Stephen was reading about the shepherds this morning. Uh, You know, sort of keep this idea in your head when you're reading the Bible. No, no, not a single word in Scripture is there by mistake. Not a single word, not a line, not a concept, not a phrase. Nothing throws away. And so it's significant when the angels appear to the shepherds and the shepherds are are watching their flocks at night um, you know, if, you, if you've ever been in, in, in fields, in country areas, when it gets dark, it's dark. I mean, it's not like, it's not like city dark where you have like uh, neon signs and street lights and stuff like that. I mean, you know, when, you're in, when you're in a field like that, when it gets dark, it's dark. And when the angels appear to proclaim the coming of the Christ, the birth of Jesus in the major, when the angels appear to the shepherds, there isn't a graying of the darkness that night. There isn't a slightly lighter hue. The light of heaven rips apart the night sky because those of us who had been in deep darkness have been sent a great light. That imagery is not a mistake. It's it's the spiritual reality for us when Christ comes. And so when the Prince of Peace comes, it's not just that peace sort of dabbles into our existence. It's It's that peace reigns. The one who, the one who ushers in peace has come. He's not bringing just a little. He means for peace to invade us. To invade our existence, to invade our lives, to invade our circumstances. And that's why when when Isaiah says this to the people, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. For those that have been walking in great darkness, can you imagine the sigh of relief? I mean, the government's going to be on his shoulders. That's great. But if it's a tyrannical government, not so good. We've seen that. We don't like it. But if the government's going to be on his shoulders and he's a prince of peace, then everything changes. So Jesus came to earth to make peace with God possible because he is the prince of peace 
and because he is the only one that is able to dispense it. Let's look at a couple of chapters in John. John chapter 14. So when Jesus comes, uh, I think we can all agree, uh, Jesus' earthly ministry is not uh, what, uh, what anybody who was waiting for the Messiah looked like, or, or was thinking it would look like. And uh, after, uh, after approximately three years on the earth, Jesus has been telling his disciples that he is going to go away. He becomes very concrete about the fact that he's going away. Not, not just that he's going away, but that he will be betrayed. Uh, when he's betrayed, he will be crucified. And he actually tells them, I'm telling you this so that when it happens, you won't freak out. You'll, re- you'll remember, hey, Jesus said this was coming and you'll know that this is part of the plan. Uh, in 14, 15, 16, in, uh, uh, in the Gospel of John, those chapters, Jesus is, is um, at the last, in the upper room at the Last Supper with the disciples. And he's begun to try and unfold these things for them again because it's the night of the betrayal. It's, it's zero hour. He said, look, guys, I've been telling you this. I want you to know it. And he's going back through it again. And so when we get to the end of chapter 14, I'll begin in 25 because I like the beginning of paragraphs, but we're going to be looking at 27. Those things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. All right, so look, I've told you everything. I've told you so that you would know. I've said these things to you so while I'm still with you so that when I'm gone, the Holy Spirit can remind you of it and go, okay, this was Jesus' plan. This was Jesus' plan. He told us this was going to happen. And then he, 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 he gets to 27, and he almost starts a new conversation. And he says this to them. Peace I'll leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace I live with, I'll, I'll leave with you. But not just any peace. I'm leaving you my peace. Because this Greek word, irene, for, uh, for peace, doesn't just mean tranquility. It's a connotation of salvation. So I'm not just leaving you peace in easy times. Goodness knows the disciples didn't have that in the days ahead of them. I mean, and Jesus said, I'll leave you my peace. And goodness knows Jesus doesn't have tranquility even in the hours awaiting him. So that's not what Jesus means. What he means for them is I leave you the peace that you were always created to enjoy. I leave you reconciliation with God. I leave you salvation. I leave you that thing that your heart longs for most, that when when your heart screams for and longs for peace, this is what it means. Even that your heart would know it more deeply than your mind does. The tranquility is fine, and I appreciate, the, I appreciate the breather, but there's a deeper peace that I need. There's a lasting peace that I need. And so Jesus says, I'm not giving you peace as the world gives to you. 
I'm giving you peace that's mine. Well, how does the world give? What the, what the world gives to us is, first of all, it's temporary. It's temporary. Nothing in this world lasts. You know this. I know this. We've, we've, we've lived enough days to know that everything in this life is temporary. It's also not conditional. Well, most of the time when you and I use the word peace, it's conditional. It's based on something. If I can get this to work out in this in place, or if I can get this job or this promotion, if I can get this house, if I can get these relationships to line up, if I can skip these events because I really don't want to go to them, or if I, can, if I can do this, if I can get all this in order, or maybe if Auburn could just have a winning season, then I'll be at peace. Maybe a flavor of it, but it's temporary, and it's conditional, and those conditions won't stay the same. But the most difficult thing about any kind of peace that the world gives to us is that it's breakable. It's conquerable. It's conquerable by the next oh, no event, by the next, I can't believe that happened, by the next, what are we going to do now, by the next, I don't have any answers for this day. Peace that the world gives us, because it's conditional, is breakable. And, I mean, if, you can, if we could put our, ourselves in the disciples' shoes, sandals, which we can't, but if we could, surely when Jesus is, saying, I'm going away, I've told you I'm going away, this is happening not just soon, but tonight, and I'm telling you this so that when it happens, you won't freak out. Too late for that, freaking out. That it, it would be absolutely natural for the disciples to start thinking, okay, how are we going to make it? How are we going to make it? Who are my allies? Where can I run to? Where can I hide? The Romans are going to be coming. The, the Pharisees are going to be coming. Who can, who can, I, who can I find support with? Who, where can I go? Where can I manufacture peace? That peace, even if you could find it, won't last. And it won't give your heart comfort. Once Jesus goes away and he accomplished the peace that he promised the disciples, and accomplished not just... Um, Peace in the moment, but peace for all eternity. Um, he, comes, he, he appears to them in John chapter 20, flip over a couple of pages, uh, after his resurrection. And he speaks peace to them again, verses 19 and 20. John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Okay, so obviously we haven't found that peace yet. We're running, we're hiding, we found an empty room, we locked the doors, and they're in there. And so while they're in there behind locked doors and being really hush-hush quiet so nobody knows where they are, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Peace be with you. By the way, it's not a lack of conflict. 
By the way, peace isn't comfort. By the way, peace isn't easy. But my peace that I have given to you now is sure. It's accomplished. He showed them his hands and his feet and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Maybe one of the largest understatements in the scripture. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Once Jesus has accomplished the way for peace, he spoke it to the disciples again and conferred it on them. Hey, peace is taken care of. You guys are good. I'll see you later. He didn't say that. He said, peace be with you. Peace rest in your midst. And you're going out and you're staying in and you're rising and you're sleeping when you're working, when you're playing, when you're resting, when you're striving. I don't care. Doesn't matter. I'm not threatened by any of it. Peace be with you. And so look, I'll just tell you, when, when, if you're a follower of Christ and when, when you and I have seasons where we don't see that peace, where we don't notice it, and it's difficult for us to find it in our lives... It's not because it's not there. Because here's the thing that I want you to know. Peace was always, always God's plan for us. Peace was always, has always been, will always be until we step into eternity. Peace has always been God's plan for us. Not with the world, but with him. So how do we do that every day? Okay, so up to this point in the sermon, you go, okay, great, Dave, good, peace, yay, awesome. How do I do that? I got stuff in my life right now that is very difficult for me to imagine peace existing in the midst of. I got these situations at work. I got these situations with my family. I got these situations here and there. I, I got these people asking me these questions. I'm burdened by the spiritual conditions of friends and family. How do I get peace here? How do I do this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Number one, how do we walk in peace? How do we walk in peace? Encounter Jesus. Don't just know about Jesus. Know Jesus. Another one of my little uh, tradition things uh, every every Christmas is... um, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. I've got the tree in my office. Not the original. That would be strange. Um, a replica. And you know, but one of the things that always frustrates me about Charlie Brown Christmas, Charlie Brown Christmas cartoon, is they never really answer his question. They never really answer his question. I mean, you know, Linus stands up and he, he, he recites the, the, uh, the Christmas story. And that's awesome. But lots of people can recite the Christmas story. 
anybody could pick up a pick up a Bible and read the the historicity of the Christmas story. Could read the narrative of the Christmas story. Knowing stuff doesn't change us. Experiencing him changes us. That's why, our, that's why intentionality and pursuing spiritual formation, spiritual transformation, spiritual change is so important for us. Now, I'm not saying don't read your Bible. Absolutely read your Bible because that's how the Holy Spirit works and moves through us. But you and I have to be diligent about pursuing a knowledge of Christ over a knowledge about Christ. So Colossians 3, uh, 12, you guys have that up there? Awesome. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another and, okay, so bearing with one another, there's something for you to work on during the holidays. Uh, Bearing with one another and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So what you're saying is, I have to let Jesus change me. Yeah. Yeah. Lean into it. Not easy. Not easy. And here's a little freedom for you. You won't get it right all the time. But keep going. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Well, that's what I want. I mean, the, the peace of Christ ruling in my heart is, is what I want. Not only is what I want, it's what I need. Like when you read those words, there should be something inside you that jumps. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him so that you're becoming, you're working to become imitators of him. You're working to become imitators of him. And then the peace of Christ will, will dwell richly, will rule in your hearts. Here's another little practical step for you. Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, you've probably heard a thousand sermons on this, um, but in case you haven't, the word rejoice here in Greek is an, is an imperative. It's an imperative. It's not a suggestion. Paul is commanding the Philippians to rejoice. Paul is in jail when he's writing this to them. Rejoice, not because you feel like it, because it's your appropriate response to the work that Christ has done on your behalf. 
Rejoice because he has set you free. Rejoice because he has made peace an option. Rejoice because he has made himself available to you. Rejoice because he has put his Holy Spirit in you to dwell in you. I can't even explain that to you. But rejoice because he's made himself yours. And don't let the fact that you're in jail or this, that, or the other bother any of that. Rejoice always. And again, I will say to you, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if, any, if there is in any excellence, if there is in anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What do you let your mind rest on? Like if, if, you were to, if, you were to, if, if you were to take your hands off the wheel of your mind, where does it automatically steer? You don't have to answer that out loud. Just food for thought. And I'm not saying this any more to you than I am to me. But as much as Paul is commanding us to rejoice because of what Christ has done, he is also commanding us to think on things that are praiseworthy things that are excellent, things that are life-changing. And those things are of Christ. And when we center our thoughts and meditations on Christ and what the Lord reveals to us in his scriptures, then what Paul tells us is that the God of peace will be with you. A short story I'm going to tell in this service, but I'm not going to tell in the next one because my mom's going to be in it. Um, bless you. My dad died um, the um, summer of 1999. And. Um, I walked out, I, 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 I got to the house, and by the time, by the time I got there, um, all, all sorts of people, all sorts of people there, uh, pastors from all these churches that my brother and I had, uh, had either worked with or um, uh, had as mentors or things like that, um, so all sorts of pastors, lots of family, friends of family, things like that. And so I get there, and... By the time I got there, all these people have been there ahead of me. And so, you know, there, there's already, there, there's a scene in place, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And um, it's very surreal. So I'm just kind of walking through the house. Um, it's kind of like reading a comic strip, right? I mean, it's like you just go from box to box and every, every box is a different scene. People are saying different things. 
but you're not really connected to any of them, not really connected to any of them. And so I'm walking through all these rooms and every room has, has different people and all, the, all these different people are having conversations. And I stood in the doorway um, going from our living room onto the, uh, the deck outside. And there were people in both places. And so I'm just, I'm standing in the middle of all of that. And uh, uh, I guess probably the most sanctified thing I can say is it stunk. Um, it's not a good time. I was not happy um, about what was going on, obviously. I wasn't happy about being there. Um, there, there was no, there was no, there was no condition in this scene, right? There was no, there was no condition. There was no, um, uh, there's no environment in that scene that I was happy about. Um, and I'm standing in the midst of that. And uh, man, th- there was um, there was a sense of peace. that came over me. I, I, I didn't even know what to ask for. I didn't know it was possible. But it just settled on me. It just settled on me. And it stayed. Peace. Advent peace. Is not conditional. It's not circumstantial but it is also not conquerable. And that is the peace you and I were created to enjoy every day. As we await now, in these days, as you and I await the second advent of Christ, where the flavor of peace that we have in our souls now because of what he's done for us becomes so much more greatly magnified in his presence. The peace that we have today through his atoning work confirms the truth of the peace that we wait for. And that is the hope that we have in Advent. So look, I don't know... um, I don't know what you have going on. I don't know what's, what's happening in your life. I don't know where you need peace. I don't know if, you've, uh, if, you've, if you think you've found peace and have settled for something that is, uh, that is temporary and, and conditional. But if you've never had the peace of Christ, if you've never felt the peace of Christ that holds you in all things, there's no greater thing that you can experience this, this, this Christmas season. No greater thing that you can know during Advent than the peace of Christ. I'd be happy to pray with you. So uh, Amanda's going to come up, um, lead, us in a, uh, lead us in a short hymn, and Sandy. Sorry, Sandy. Uh, lead us in a short hymn. And look, 
Whatever the Lord, wherever the Lord has you, if you need peace that abides, and if you need peace that is sure, let's talk to God about it today. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we love you and we thank you uh, for the Prince of Peace. We thank you for uh, the peace that Christ has given us because of his work on the cross. We thank you for the peace that endures the things of this world. We thank you for the peace that holds us, the peace that brings us salvation, and the peace through which, Holy Spirit, you teach us about all the things of God. I pray that you would give us open hearts this Christmas season to experience the truth of who you are. And if, if, if any of us has yet to wrap our arms around the hope that you extend to us, maybe this is the first year that we really celebrate Christmas, that we really celebrate the coming of the one who brings us hope and peace. We love you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.